Live from Southern California, this is the M News Now on Thursday, September 1st, 2022. And here's the latest news from the cannabis industry. The measure to protect California workers from cannabis use discrimination has passed. This week, legislators gave their final approval to AB 2188, which makes it unlawful for an employer to discriminate against a person in hiring, termination, or any term or condition of employment, or otherwise penalize a person because of their off-duty cannabis use. Specifically, the measure bans employers from making employment decisions based upon hair or urine tests that screen for cannabis metabolites. These types of tests are considered inaccurate for assessing current intoxication because metabolites can stay in the system for weeks. Employees would still be banned from being under the influence of cannabis while working, and certain employees would not be protected under the law altogether, such as those working in building and construction or some types of positions that require federal clearance. The director of Normal's California chapter, Dale Gearinger, said cannabis is legal in California and workers have a right to engage in legal activity while away from the job. So now that the California legislators have approved the measure, it's going to the governor, Gavin Newsom, for final review. Newsom has until September 30th to either approve or veto the bill. Alternatively, if he neither approves or vetoes it, the bill will automatically be passed into law after the September 30th date. And if the bill is made into law, it goes into effect on January 1, 2024. There are six other states that have laws protecting workers' rights to use recreational cannabis. Those would be Nevada, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Montana, and Rhode Island. Additionally, there are another 21 states and many cities that have laws protecting workers who use medical cannabis. Brittany Griner is not the only American being detained in Russia over cannabis. And some senators have stepped up to remind the government of that and ask for help. Democratic Senator from Pennsylvania, Bob Casey, led a group of nine other senators in a letter to the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, regarding American Mark Fogel's detainment in Russia. The senator said that like Brittany Griner, Mark Fogel should also be classified as wrongfully detained because he holds a valid Pennsylvania medical cannabis license. The letter wrote, Mr. Fogel's recent 14-year sentence to a maximum security penal colony for possession of less than an ounce of medical marijuana can only be understood as a political ploy by Vladimir Putin's authoritarian regime. Mr. Fogel, a 61-year-old with severe medical conditions, has already been detained for a year. The United States cannot stand by as Mr. Fogel wastes away in a Russian hard labor camp. Their letter pointed out that because the U.S. government is actively working to negotiate the release of Brittany Griner over a similar offense, that Fogel's case warrants the same degree of political attention and diplomatic intervention. They wrote, We strongly urge the State Department to shift its strategy given the realities of Mark Fogel's situation and act immediately to designate him as wrongfully detained. Such a designation will provide the warranted level of support to Mark Fogel's family after a year of communication with Mr. Fogel only via mail, and most importantly, will require the U.S. Special President Envoy for Hostage Affairs to secure Mr. Fogel's freedom. We cannot allow Mr. Fogel to be used as a political pawn by Vladimir Putin. They also explained why they believe Fogel's sentence is a political ploy. They said, Though Mr. Fogel did violate Russian law by bringing 17 grams of marijuana to the country, his sentence is grossly disproportionate to similar cases. As Russian lawyers have pointed out, the most common sentence in similar cases is five years of probation. 
A few weeks ago, a group of senators and congressmen from Fogel's home state of Pennsylvania also wrote a letter to the Secretary of State urging that Fogel be included in negotiations for Brittany Griner's release. They pointed out the similarities in their cases and yet the difference in help and attention being received. They wrote that while Griner's family had received presidential attention, the family of Mr. Fogel has struggled to even receive a response from the State Department. At a White House press briefing last month, a reporter had asked if Fogel's case is being handled differently than Griner's. Their response was that they would not speak on specifics of ongoing cases, but they added that they've been working on it. They said, it's ongoing and active and we're looking at it, but we'd rather not go into any more details on specific cases. Six years after Florida residents voted to legalize medical cannabis use, Florida regulators have set new rules on THC dosage amounts and supply limits for patients. The new limits began taking effect this week. Patients using non-smokable cannabis will have a daily THC dosage capped at 60 milligrams for edibles or 350 milligrams for vape products or 200 milligrams for capsules and tinctures or 190 milligrams for sublingual tinctures and suppositories or 150 milligrams for topicals. These daily caps would be monitored by placing a larger overall THC cap for a total 70-day period. Patients using smokable flour would have their limit based upon weight, which would be a maximum of 2.5 ounces of smokable flour that's allowed to be purchased over a 35-day period. There will be an option for doctors to seek an exemption for patients who require more, though. The Office of Medical Marijuana Use will provide instructional guides and calculators to determine how much patients have purchased, how much they can buy, and when their orders could be renewed. Barry Gordon, who's a doctor with Compassionate Cannabis Clinic in Venice, Florida, said he believes these limits show that the Department of Health has utter disregard not only for the doctors who actively participate in the program with honor and integrity and diligence, but also the patients who are disrespected. Dr. David Berger, the owner of Holistic Relief, said, If we're supposed to be partners with a patient, the state, and trying to implement a successful program, I don't understand why they're putting these additional restrictions on, and I don't really see the purpose of it. Some industry insiders have pointed out that patients who purchase products that don't work well for them will be unable to buy replacement products within the new time limits. Other critics have voiced concern that these limits on dosage and supply would make products more expensive, noting that many patients who are retired or otherwise on fixed budgets may have been previously making larger purchases based around sales or special deals. Pensacola doctor Michelle Beasley told the News Service of Florida that the process was unnecessarily burdensome for patients, especially for older patients who may be experiencing cognitive declines. She said, I do this full-time, and I have a medical doctorate, and it's taxing for my brain. Beasley also said that she thinks these new limits could add extra support to the state's initiative to legalize recreational cannabis use. She said, In my opinion, if you make the medical patients mad and limit their access to their medicine and make it expensive and harder to get, then they're just going to say, Screw this. I'm going to sign the legalization petition so I don't have to deal with jumping through these hoops. It's a good point. Hopefully Florida will get recreational legalization and those caps for medical patients removed. The U.S. Customs and Border Protection recently announced that they're looking to acquire portable cannabis analyzers so they can quickly identify the difference between hemp and THC cannabis plants. 
They said they'd like to be able to determine if plant material or manufactured products contain cannabinoid class chemicals and in what quantity. While THC cannabis remains federally illegal, hemp cannabis plants were federally legalized under the 2018 Farm Bill, and some agents are having trouble telling the difference between the two plants. The agency's request states that they want equipment that's easily portable for agents to use and weighs no more than 15 pounds. They also want analyzers to show if the plant or product contains more than the federal hemp limit of 0.3% THC by dry weight. Also, the analyzer must be able to detect at least nine cannabinoids that include delta-9 THC, delta-8 THC, CBD, CBN, and CBG. They further request that the full analysis cycle not take more than 12 minutes. There are currently only nine medical cannabis dispensaries in the whole state of Louisiana. That's soon going to be expanding, though. Louisiana's cannabis pharmacies, as they're called there, are strategically located in different designated areas of the state. After an individual pharmacy reaches 3,500 patients, they may then open a satellite location. State regulators have recently informed seven of the existing nine pharmacies that they each now qualify to apply for opening a satellite location. So far, only one, H&W Drugstore in the New Orleans region, has submitted their application papers for their satellite location. Several more pharmacies, though, plan to do so over the next few months. Louisiana currently has nearly 35,000 cannabis patients. That number increased nearly three times over the last year. The Associated Press reported that the group Oklahomans for Sensible Marijuana Laws gathered enough signatures to qualify for getting an initiative on legalizing recreational adult-use cannabis on this November's ballot. But because it took longer than usual to count the signatures, it wasn't clear if there'd be enough time to get the question printed on ballots ahead of the November 8th general election. Typically, the Oklahoma Secretary of State's office handles counting signatures in-house, but that changed this year when they contracted with an outside firm to help with verification. As a result, the signature counting process that typically takes two to three weeks took nearly seven to complete. The campaign for the legalization measure said that they turned in signatures 30 days early to ensure that they'd make all the deadlines. But because of the state's delay in counting, and thus putting the measure in jeopardy of not being on the ballot, they petitioned the Oklahoma Supreme Court to intervene and allow the measure to still appear on the ballot. This week, Tulsa Public Radio stated that Oklahoma's Supreme Court has agreed to review the case and decide if the measure will be able to appear on the November ballot. Oklahoma Secretary of State Brian Bingham acknowledged in a statement that the recent change to working with an outside firm for verification was new to them, and they'll try to continue to improve the new process. That's all you need to know for today. Be sure to keep listening for the latest updates and follow us on themnewsnow.com. Later.